You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. Father James Gross joining you from the Diocese of Fargo in our Grand Fork studios. A reminder of that website, realpresenceradio.com, as an opportunity to keep track of the programming. Uh, there's a lot of great programming, uh, not only... Uh, not only network-wide, but uh, in certain sections as well that uh, we can spell out for you on that website, as well as uh, getting an idea both of uh, our programs during the week and on weekends of where... of when those are aired. We also uh, offer uh, a forum for submitting prayer requests and joining with our family of faith and hope and offering those prayers with our brothers and sisters. So that website is realpresenceradio.com. Well, for our final conversation today, we have a well-known author with us, Mike Aquilina. Welcome to Real Presence Live. Uh, Thanks for having me, Father James. It's great to, to have you with us today. This is a, a familiar voice to many of our listeners, appearing uh, weekly on the Sunrise Morning Show, um, which is uh, broadcast on Real Presence Live. Give us a little bit of your uh, your background and how you have come into uh, this uh, business of being uh, a prolific author and speaker for the faith. Oh, well, I, I, I have a background in, in writing and publishing. I worked in the tech field for seven years. I worked in the newspaper business for three years, and I, uh, I, I worked um, in the magazine business for three years. So, I, I mean, I've been around in publishing. And, uh, you know, when you're, when you're a young man working in those fields, you learn to work hard, and you learn to produce <laughs> a lot, because the staff is usually small. So, so I, uh, I, I, I guess the first jobs I had taught me to be prolific, and then once I um, I went uh, freelance and I started doing uh, doing work on my own, uh, I, I kind of kept that habit. Uh, keep the keep the word out there. Um, you know, keep um, keep uh, doing as much as I can, and I'm doing it now just purely for the Lord. Fantastic. Now, when I think of uh, some of your more recent titles and the bits and pieces of things that I've read from you, the primary theme that comes to my mind is uh, patristics and uh, the, the the contributions of the early church and, and early church fathers. Can you tell us a little bit about how you uh, became as interested in that particular area in theology uh, as you are? <laughs> Yes, absolutely. You know, uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an archaeologist. Now, this this was in the years before the um, uh, the movies about. Uh, 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 I'm trying to remember the name of the archaeologist. Jurassic Park, maybe? No, uh, no, no. The the archaeologist <laughs> okay. who who. Uh, who you know went after the, uh, the oh Indiana Jones the Indiana Jones right so I grew up even before those but I wanted to be an archaeologist and uh, and and I, I I remember reading in in our school library we had we had um, Heinrich Schliemann's account of finding Troy and it was a boys book you know so I I, um, <laughs> I read it and uh, and I said wow I want to do something like that and discover something ancient and valuable in all of this and then I realized you know later on that that archaeologists have to work hard and they have to they, they they poke around with a toothbrush for weeks before they they can turn something over and uh, and I thought oh I don't want to do that but reading the early church fathers was for me one way of doing archaeology it's going into these exotic writers and discovering new things about the ancient world and gaining an imaginative entry into the world 
of the early Christians, because it's a world that's otherwise inaccessible to us, because it's so different from the way we live now. We can read Scripture, and we kind of project our world back onto it, or we imagine it to be like a sword and sandal movie. But the more you learn about it, the richer your experience of reading Scripture can be. Very good, yes. And and there's that uh, popular scene in the first movie from that series, Raiders of the Lost Ark, in which uh, Harrison Ford, the dashing archaeologist and university professor, has uh, female students swooning as they are in his lecture <laughs> hall during class. So apparently that wasn't your primary motivation in the field, was it? <laughs> no, I was too little. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't discovered girls yet. Uh, but but uh, I guess it's a good thing I didn't see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps so, perhaps so, yes indeed. All right, well, um, one of the primary topics that we want to take up here today is um, the lessons that uh, the early Christians uh, can teach us with regard to um, withstanding uh, persecutions and and all different sorts of adversity. So can you just uh, start sharing some of this to, to give our listeners an idea of what we're talking about, the various persecutions that the early Christians had faced? Uh, well, you know, we should have expected it from the beginning, because because our Lord told us this was coming. He yes. said this was going to be part of the experience of being Christian. This is what they do to the Master. This is what they'll do to the disciples. Get ready. Expect this. And he does that from the very first moment when he's commissioning the apostles. He starts to tell them what their job description is, and as part of that job description, he tells them that they're going to suffer persecution, they're going to be expelled from synagogues, and then we get to the Acts of the Apostles, and we see all those things happening. We see the Apostles themselves expelled from synagogues, we see them beaten, uh, you know, uh, imprisoned, uh, thrown out of town, all of these things happen to them. Uh, So there's a range of experiences we might call persecution. You know where they're where they're ostracized, where they're mocked, where they're where they're actually physically harmed, uh, and Stephen is stoned to death very early in the history of the church, very early in the Acts of the Apostles. So, so there there are a range of things that we consider within persecution, from the very mild mockery uh, to the to to the to the fatal. <laughs> so. Yes. Um, so that's happening already in the first generation, and, mm-hmm. and it continues after that because, because it became a worldwide phenomenon, as our Lord predicted, and it, it even became uh, kind of legislated into, into, into action in the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire at that time was vast. It, it took up much of the known world. Mm-hmm. So... so um, so, uh, you know, at the time of the Emperor Nero in, in, uh, in the year 64 A.D., you know, Nero, uh, Nero wanted to, to do urban redevelopment, so he set the city of Rome on fire, or at least some, some run-down neighborhoods. And he wanted to, um, to, to build himself a palace on the place where all of these tenement buildings had stood. So he, um, he, he, he burned the place down. It burned for seven days, and then it burned for three more after they put the fire out, finally. And so people were suspicious, people were murmuring, and Nero knew he had to find a scapegoat. He had to blame someone for this, and he blamed the Christians. And he convicted them of a crime called hatred of humanity because they spoke out against all of the things that normal people did, like commit adultery and fornication and divorce and all of these these other things that the Romans had become addicted to. Um, Mm -hmm. So... 
they must hate humans if they if they speak out against these things. They were haters, and he had them condemned to death for this. And um, and and once that was done, well, then there was legal precedent for persecution, and the persecutions continued within the Roman Empire uh, with that strong legal basis for the next 200, 275 years. Right. Now, one of the things that I'm thinking of, um, you know, when we consider the uh, the ability for the uh, apostles to withstand uh, persecution, um, I think it's in, cha- I'm, j- I'm trying to find it on the fly, chapter 5 of Acts of the Apostles, there's that dramatic phrase where it says that uh, after being released, uh, the apostles um, rejoiced that they were found worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. So if you could mm-hmm. just talk about um, what that phrase encapsulates, uh, you know, like um, with uh, regard to, for example, the, um, the, the early martyrs of the Holy Roman Church, whom we remember on that great memorial on june 30th after the solemnity of saints peter and paul or uh, of the apostles themselves well you know it's hard for us to imagine their world now because we're so spoiled we have parish churches and even if in recent years we've had a clergy shortage and the number of masses uh has been cut back you know we've suffered these things this is nothing compared to 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 the limitations that were there in the earliest generations of the church so you try to imagine what the world was like at the time of say ignatius of antioch who was a disciple of the apostles and who was bishop of antioch uh in the the late years of the 100s or in, uh, i'm sorry of the first century so mm-hmm. he's bishop in the in the 90s of of the first century that is christian and he knew the apostles um, so, uh, you know, the, he, he's there, um, and, and, and he had to savor every bit of contact he had with Jesus Christ, reading the Gospels and everything. But Jesus was so close to him, so close to him, and he felt so close to Jesus, because he had to put that effort out there. Um, and when he was on his way to his martyrdom, he wrote seven letters. We still have these seven letters today. Mm-hmm. And all through the letters, he's identifying with Jesus and he's saying, I want to be like him. I want to be close to him and closer to him. And, and this is the strong sense you get from that letter. So you can imagine him rejoicing as he was being led to the lions in the Colosseum. He said, let me be ground like wheat in the teeth of the lions so that I can be pure bread for Jesus Christ. Yes. It's and a he, beautiful image. Yeah, yeah. And he also is telling, I think at least in one uh, case of those uh, to whom he wrote the letters, you know, please uh, do not deter me from making witness, you know, if I'm brought before brought, brought before the emperor and, and have to suffer, um, uh, you know, death at the hands of the wild beasts. If you were to stand in my way, I can only uh, think that you are wishing me harm, you know. So yeah, there's yeah. That, uh, that great zeal that he ex- expressed. And zeal brings joy. Sacrifice brings joy. If you have any human love, you know this. If you make a sacrifice for a friend, if you make a sacrifice for your parents or your children, it's hard, but you feel great afterwards because you expressed your love in a powerful way. Indeed. Well, we're going to step aside for a quick break, but we are visiting with Mike Aquilina as he's talking about the influence of the uh, early church and how our uh, ancestors and faith really give us an example of their uh, piety and their commitment through persecution. We'll continue this conversation after the break. You're listening to Real Presence Live.
Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. And uh, I remember when uh, they came around looking for donations at the churches when they were trying to get started. And it really hit me when, I don't even remember who it was, came around, but it was just like, I think that I need this. Because I wanted to be be fed. Uh, I wasn't taking time to read my Bible or any of that, but I just knew it was like, well, if I could listen to stuff on the radio like he talked about. And so it, it was everything that it said and more, you yeah. know, in all reality. So. It doesn't take a lot of effort. To turn it on. It does not take a lot of effort. You know, sometimes, really, it, I'm going to back up on that and say it, it, it almost does. Because if you want to be drawn in and contemplate what is all being said on the radio, there's a lot of stuff that gets kind of deep. It's like, well, it makes you contemplate. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, okay, am I, am I ready to, to take this food in and digest it and all that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the spiritual food. So, yeah, it's it's been, it's been really good for me from, from my faith walk. It, Real Presence Radio is available on Alexa-enabled devices, including Amazon Echo, phones, tablets, and smart displays. To enable the skill, just say, Alexa, enable Real Presence Radio. To listen, say something like, Alexa, open Real Presence Radio. It will then ask what station you want to play, to which you can respond, play Sioux Falls, or play AM970, or play WWEN. From there, you can use commands like play, pause, and stop. Listen to RPR anytime, anywhere, on Alexa-enabled devices. This is Mrs. Graham, the third grade teacher here at St. Philip's Catholic School in Bemidji, Minnesota. Please join us in prayer. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Thank you for sticking with us here on Real Presence Live on a Thursday as we head into our final segment. Father James Gross from the Diocese of Fargo joining you and very pleased to continue this conversation with um, uh, a prolific uh, author, uh, Mike Aquilina, um, who has written very much uh, about uh, the early church. And uh, his last name should not be confused with the Pepsi brand of bottled water that you may find in (laughs) convenience stores. So uh, A-Q-U-I-L-I-N-A. Um, uh, we were talking about uh, the, uh, the the zeal, the the, the courage that uh, was exhibited by the uh, earliest uh, generations of Christians in the face of persecution. One of your books, in particular, um, gives, uh, as I understand it, some colorful descriptions of particular people who um, uh, Christians, you know, um, boldly uh, faced off against um, in their. Uh, in their witness to their love of Christ, uh, this particular title, Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians. Um, are there uh, an example or two that come to your mind that kind of illustrate the, um, the, the valor that uh, was involved with uh, persecuted Christians? Well, yeah, I mean, you, you look at, I mentioned Nero earlier, uh, you, you, you look at his life, and he was depraved, he was, he was despised by his own people, he was, um, 
he was he he was just an awful person and uh and um and you know he thought he was going to gain people's affection by killing the christians because because entertainment at that at that time was very violent uh but the the christians faced their end with such valor with such courage with such joy that this just caught the attention of the people around them so that one of the um one of the historians the roman historians tacitus who grew up with these stories about nero who was only recently dead uh and you know he grew up with these the stories about when the christians were killed and tacitus had no use for the christians he didn't like them but he said you have to admire them and and really nero miscalculated he said and and when um and when Nero did this, it just made people more sympathetic to the Christians because they saw they saw that happening. They saw a kind of courage they had never witnessed before, and and we know that that's true from other other testimonies from that time and from later. Justin, uh, Saint Justin, who who grew up in Palestine, was converted to Christianity in part because he saw the the Christians go to their deaths with such joy. And he knew that they must have a philosophy that, that, that was superior to the other philosophies he had been studying, the philosophy of Plato and Aristotle and, uh, and, and the others, the Stoics. Um, he, he was not getting the kind of wisdom that could lead you to, lead, to, to, to die a happy death, to face, to face torture with, with courage. How do you do that? It's got to come from somewhere. So yeah, there's, there are plenty of examples of valor, and of course the Church grew, and the Church could thrive in that kind of atmosphere. Uh, Tertullian, who's writing in the 100s, uh, had, gave us this, this axiom. He said, the blood of the martyrs is seed. The blood of the martyrs is seed of the Church. The Church grew, the Church could thrive um, when, when people were dying as martyrs. Yes, um, you know there's a, there's also a powerful witness, isn't there? When you find uh, in your research not just the uh, testimonials and letters of Christians, but of those who didn't have a dog in the fight, so to speak, who were yes. you know admiring, as you mentioned, with Tacitus and and giving a, kind of their own uh, testimony to the impact of of Christians within the greater milieu. I, I try to lean on those sources, and they're the best sources because we have we have eyewitness testimony from non-Christians, and uh, and the other thing we have is court court documents, you know, court transcripts, the transcripts of the trials of these people. You know, today if there's if there's a a, a, a court trial, you can buy a transcript afterwards. You could have one printed out for yourself, um, and or some of them sometimes they're available online as well. Well. In, uh, in ancient times, you could do that, too. And whenever the Christians went on trial, they were going forward to their martyrdom, the, their fellow Christians would buy the transcript so it would be preserved within the Church. And we still have these transcripts today. Yes, indeed. Now, we've looked at the, the landscape of the Church, I guess, in 2022 uh, America, and there are a lot of different um, camps, you might say, uh, whether it be of uh, whatever labels you want to attribute, uh, traditionalist, uh, progressive, um, you know, social justice, uh, various things like that. A lot of uh, contention, I think, even among people of faith. So, what kind of lessons do the uh, early Christians and, and the Church Fathers give us uh, with regard to their, um, their, their love for Christ and their ability to rise above those, uh, those um, internal conflicts? <laughs> well, I'd say what they teach us is to, to lead 
lives of, of sustained and disciplined prayer, because that's what they did. They led lives of sustained and disciplined prayer. We're all very busy. It's hard to make time. we got to make time. Because uh, we want to be close to Christ, as Ignatius was, when, you know, should our time come? And it's, it's never far off. It's not, like, it's not like the Germans got a lot of warning before they got Hitler persecuting Christians. It's not like the Spaniards got a lot of warning before they had the Spanish Civil War and thousands dying for the faith. Uh, you know, it could come in our, own, in, our, in our own lifetime, and it could come like a thief in the night. That's how, how it usually comes. So we should be ready. And the way you prepare is by spending time with our Lord in sustained and disciplined prayer. You look at the third century especially. The third century was, was the, you know, brought the first large-scale persecutions, right. empire-wide persecutions. And, uh, and there was, it was a time of a lot of division and factions in the Church, a lot of diversity in the Church. And yet, so many of these people were, you know, showed themselves willing to go forward to their death for Christ. Um, we've got to be ready just as they were ready by praying as they prayed. Amen to that. Um, we were talking about Ignatius of uh, Antioch uh, and how his letters, which are extant, are a great witness of his conviction. Um, are there any, uh, notwithstanding your own books, of course, which we want to heavily plug in this uh, segment, but uh, are there other sorts of uh, resources, maybe some primary sources uh, that yeah. you would recommend um, in order to give us more of a sense of uh, the, um, uh, the fidelity of the early church? Well, if you go to newadvent.org and click on Fathers, okay, you'll find a lot of primary texts there. And the one I suggest starting with is the Diary of St. Perpetua, because it ends with the story, uh, by another hand, uh, that, that describes the, the martyrdom of Perpetua and her companion Felicity, and other companions as well. Uh, but it's a great story. And it's a first-hand account by someone who had converted to Christianity and suffered the consequences. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and, and then we have, on that same page, you will find uh, addresses to the martyrs by both Tertullian and Origen. So you're, you're looking there at the 2nd century and the 3rd century. These are powerful first-hand witnesses. Well, Mike Aquilina, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us today and piquing our interest. Blessings to you and your family. Well, thank you for having me on. Have a, have a glorious holiday season. Thank you very much. We just have a couple of minutes left in our program, and uh, before we do anything else here, let's take a look at um, what uh, we have coming up on our next program with uh, Teresa down at Command Central. On the next Real Presence Live, Monday from 9 to 11 Central, Steve Splonskowski and Tom O'Keefe are your hosts, coming to you live from the Fargo studio. They'll visit with Deacon Mark Creechy about how the Mass prepares us for missionary discipleship. Then, Father James Ermer will continue his series on the Eucharist. All this and much more on the next Real Presence Live, Monday from 9 to 11 Central. Back to you. Fantastic. Thanks so much for your help, as always. And in these last couple of minutes, I was thinking about how music shapes our experience of this uh, season of Advent and Christmas. Um, what is your favorite Christmas carol, particularly of a religious nature? My favorite single Christmas song is perhaps not necessarily a Christmas song. It's more per appropriately an Advent song, but it's something that I always seek out and want to listen to fairly regularly in these 
days and this time of the year. And it comes from Handel's Messiah. George Friedrich Handel, a native of Germany and a transplant to England, a British citizen, wrote this uh, masterpiece work of um, uh, basically the um, exposition of the uh, Kerygma of the Gospel in the year 1741 using the King James Bible. There are a variety of different forms of um, uh, musical uh, expression. Uh, there are choruses, uh, there are solos for both men and women, and recitatives, which would be uh, passages of kind of a hybrid of spoken and sung um, uh, scripture verses. My favorite is a chorus called And the Glory of the Lord. It's set to a waltz rhythm. I manage, I imagine a, a royal court in Vienna. It's, it's relatively brief. It's only about three minutes long, and it uses a verse from Isaiah chapter 40. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Now, many of you may be thinking, well, I'm not much of a uh, classical music fan. I don't really know if this is going to turn my crank. I just ask you to give it a chance if you've never heard this before, and the glory of the Lord from Handel's Messiah. It's really a wonderful, uh, beautiful composition. The Hallelujah Chorus, of course, is by far and away the most popular part of Handel's Messiah, but I would recommend that and, and the glory of the Lord and numerous other Advent and Christmas-themed solos and choruses from Handel's Messiah. So thank you for joining us on another program of Real Presence Live. May Almighty God watch over you, bless you, and grant you his protection and love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Until next time, Father James Gross, on behalf of Father Jason Leffer, thank you for joining us, and blessings to you and your family. This has been Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Real Presence Live brings you inspirational stories of faith and a look at the good and holy things happening in our local area. Weekday mornings from 9 to 11 Central. Tune in for an encore of each show beginning Saturday morning at 6. Get the podcast any time of day or night at yourcatholicradiostation.com or on the Real Presence Radio app. And remember, you can be a part of the conversation through Facebook and Twitter. Real Presence Live, local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network.